Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. And we are recording. And we're back again. And um, today I thought we would thought it would be interesting to talk about a little piece of history here on Eastern Long Island. Um, sort of a fun a fun little structure on the side of the road that um, is turning 90. And that would be the big duck in Flanders. Quack, quack. I don't know anybody who doesn't know what this duck looks like, but it's this iconic 20 foot. I don't know what it's made out of. Maybe chicken wire. <laughs> Arrow concrete. I think I'm saying that correctly. Is it? Yeah. So it's on the side of the road. It's moved a couple times during its life. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about because the big duck is turning 90 and I have a little bit of duck trivia that I can throw in this podcast. So, but first let's do our introductions. We um, have Bill Sutton manning the controls as usual. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News. And Brendan J. O'Reilly is back with us this week. Hey, Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the features editor. And my name is Annette Hinkle and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us is Alec Jaberta. Nice to say that right. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Every time I see your name, I'm like, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. And then I got it. Okay, good. So Alec, last yeah. summer, Alec, during the summer of COVID, Alec bravely um, worked as um, a summer intern. And now Alec has graduated from Cornell and he is now um, working with us as a freelance writer, which is awesome. And Alec actually wrote a story about the big duck turning 90. I did. So how are you doing today, Alec? Pretty good. Um, this is definitely an interesting story because I've never covered anything in the realm of architecture before and even going into the story i wasn't expecting the focus to be on the things architecture but that's the legacy it has is an architectural like standard bearer like that the big duck inspired like an entirely new nomenclature in the right apparently it was like 19 1968 i believe um there were two architects who used the term duck architecture for any structure that presentation of what its purpose is yeah. You know, like you think in like Route 66 and the coffee pots that are gas stations on the side of the road and, you know, things that really sort of reference what they sell, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's correct. Um, I think that the way of putting it in layman's terms is like items that are just like larger than life, like the actual thing is what, it, yeah. Which was that. Did you have thought <laughs> memories of the big duck as a kid coming out here? Is it, was it something that figured in your imagination at all? Actually, I I had only seen it in person once. I've never been inside. Did you go in the, in the big duck for the story? I did not. Um, I, I kind of just relied upon, like, there are people who've studied the big duck. There's a historian at St. Joseph's College um, who wrote a book on the big duck. Um, she kind of provided. Susan Vanskoy, I think she did. A, I did a story when the book came out, too. So, um, yeah, the big, the big duck thing is. How about you, uh, Bill and uh, Brendan? Do you guys have a relationship with the big duck that predates uh, adulthood well i i'll tell you that i my philosophy is that the big duck is like the statue of liberty if you're a new yorker you've never been to the statue of liberty since i've lived on the east end i've never gone to the big duck i i've been by it i even stopped in front of it but i never bothered to take like a photo while i was there i 
would go in it if I was like driving by and it was open, but generally I'm passing by on a weekday when it's not open. So I've never seen the inside. I'm interested too, but I've never like scheduled my weekend around visiting the big duck, even though somebody from up Island might do that while they're visiting the East end. I'll tell you, I, I drive by the duck twice a day going when I, when I commute to work, going to work and coming home from work. And I, I think um, very rarely have I ever driven by and not seen people parked there taking selfies in front of the duck, whether it's open or not, and just kind of hanging out um, there. I also remember as, as a reporter covering when they moved the duck from um, Sears Bellows Park back to its original location where it's roosting now. Um, and it was a big deal at the time. The town had bought the property <clears throat> where the duck is now. And I remember that then Supervisor Patrick Scapini was, um, was really, really excited to learn some of the history. Um, there were some old, um, um, there, were, there were some old structures on the property that over time had become houses for of ill repute where um, women of, of that profession were, were actually plying their wares. Um, and they, they restored some of those buildings and knocked them down. And he was just very excited about that history. Skip was a pretty good historian. Well, it's funny. I just, I mean, I, you know, I didn't grow up in this part of the world, but my husband grew up in New Jersey and um, in the sixties and seventies, his father would rent a house like out in that peak. Unfortunately, he didn't buy one back then. Um, decided that the traffic on the LIE was too much. So they decided not to buy a house. That my <laughs> life little did he know. Yeah, little did he know. But um, but my husband has very fond memories of stopping at the Big Duck to actually buy ducks. His father was a big fan of um, of duck, and so they would stop there, and they were actually selling ducks out of there. And I could just imagine being a kid. You know, I don't know. Like I know, I don't know what year the LIE was completed, but you know, I've heard like in this early part of the '60s, at least, that you know there was no LIE, so it probably took four hours. I mean, even on a non-traffic day to drive out on local roads. So I can imagine for any really bored kid seeing the duck was like a, a, a little slice of heaven because not only did you get to stop, but you also knew that you were getting close to your beach vacation is my thinking. Uh, kind of like the stargazer structure on, on 111. It's just, it's that, yeah. that symbol of, okay, I'm getting to the East and now I'm getting to the Hamptons. So if the stargazer actually sold something that resembled what it is, then we could call it a duck. Venison, it would be, it would be venison. Well, that's a great idea. <laughs> Let's open a shop. And interestingly enough, the Big Duck actually does not sell anything like no duck products anymore. Not anymore. No. It's like a it's like a, a gift store now, right? Yeah, it's just a gift store. It's been I think it's been a gift store since 1993. Um, it hasn't yeah. actually sold anything relating to duck. It sells like duck toys and things that relate to duck but not actual duck products well the duck farming thing was like you know that it was so polluting um that um they ended up uh, basically making it really really difficult for the farmers to stay in business and i think now we're down to one or two duck farms but you know at, at the height there were probably like 90 or more and um just the waste of the ducks was just foul no pun intended yeah. um i mean not only is the big duck like a marker of as we were kind of saying like architectural um like it marks a new architectural form but it also like is a marker of the economic history of long island um during that time throughout the 1950s there were over 90 duck farms on long island and today there's just one 
Um, that's a right. pretty crazy decline um, over yeah. um, a relatively short period of time. Probably a really good one from a water quality yeah. standpoint, which I think is why they did that. You know, I think that the smell was apparently insane. And I can't remember how they regulated them and were, they basically regulated them out of business. I think, you know, requiring that if they wanted to stay in the business of duck farming, they had to upgrade the facilities to like such a level that most of the duck farmers just like headed out to the Midwest. Right. They want to do it, them to install waste treatment facilities and, and the whole thing. And I mean, if you've <clears throat> ever driven by a duck farm, you know why. I mean, it's just really, really noxious. I can't imagine having that in my backyard. I met a professor once, um, at, he was at, at Suffolk Community College and he was like an environmental science professor and he had just purchased a piece of property on the Peconic Bay, I think in Flanders and he got it for a song. Um, and he said in the back, there was like this mound of just like white and it was basically um, cemented duck poop. Oh. And that rains, it would just turn into the slick of um, but he was really happy because he got like a really good deal on waterfront property, but it came with, a, with a major cost and the amount of the duck refuse in the back. And this was like, you know, this was like maybe late nineties and it was still, and you know, sitting there on this property right. from probably decades earlier. So and most, most of those farms, they had ponds where, where the, the waste would just go into the pond and, and there would just be this, this incredible sediment on the bottom of the ponds, just feet and feet. Of, um, of sediment. So apparently from what um, Dr. Van Scoy said, the woman who wrote that book about the big duck, the belief was that the ducks would mate more efficiently in the pond with water, but it was a fallacy. They thought that they would be, I guess, more productive by, and that's why they made sure to always have ponds. But apparently that was not a true thing at all. You don't need ponds to, and ducks are not born knowing how to swim. Really? They're apparently also afraid of the dark. That was something else I learned from her. <laughs> So they would always keep a light on for the little ducks before they before they slaughtered them and add them to the masses. That's yeah, really, really kind of them. <laughs> no wonder they were the dark. So how many times did the big duck move? Because I know it moved to Sears Bellows County Park in Hampton Bays from 88 to 2007. Did it live anywhere else besides its original location, Hampton Bays, and back to its original location? Yeah, so it moved three times. So in 1931, it was built um, kind of at, at this, it was like a farm that Maurer worked on. He was the person who like decided to build it. Um, and then it moved, I think in 1936 to, he bought his own farm. And so he took the duck with him. And then in 1936, it was at its current location, um, off Route 24 in Flanders. And so from 1936 to 1987, it stayed at that one spot, the original location, or not the original location, but where it is now, um, off Route 24 in Flanders. It changed owners three times, um, or maybe actually four times. Um, Three times, sorry. Um, and then in 1987, um, these people who bought the farm decided to sell it to developers. And so when they sold it to developers, um, the duck was almost destroyed. That was kind of part of the agreement um, in the sale that like anything on the property could be destroyed. But to save it, the old owner sold it to, or donated it to Suffolk County. And that's how it kind of ended up at Sears Bellows Park. Now I've been to Sears Bellows Park a bunch, but I've never been there when the duck was there. Does anyone know where it was located? 
it was on the um i guess that would be the west side of the road which i guess where the park is they had like a little like you could rent horses or something like a horse rental place and it it sat very close to the road almost as close as it does now on the other side down further um but it sat very very close to the road and i think that the the little horse um rental riding academy was right behind it if i remember correctly is that right bill yeah as far as i remember it's hard hard to, to remember back but yeah that sounds right i thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about when it was built so 1931 that was an interesting time you know that was probably the midst of the depression and alec i wondered what you learned about as far as the original construction of it and what was going on financially for this guy that drove him to uh to build this big duck yeah so from my understanding he only worked on the farm he didn't actually own the farm but i mean it was obviously the aftermath of the Great Depression and duck farms were struggling on Long Island um, as an industry. And so he, his, the motivation behind building the duck was kind of advertising to kind of raise the profile of his like duck farm. Um, and apparently it was successful because in 36, he was able to buy his own duck farm and kind of move off the property. Um, and so that's kind of all I really was able to learn about the construction of the duck. There's definitely a lot more of the history of its kind of like reason for being constructed in Dr. Van Soy's book. And I wonder what they did inside. Did like they did they stack the ducks in cages inside, or were they you know like how did they actually use it in the old days, or did they actually chop the duck's head off while you were inside the duck, which would be kind of weird. But I guess it's any. Just curious how it functioned. I don't know if anybody knows that. I have. I don't. I do know, I think later on, though, it was more known for eggs and they sold a lot of, of chicken eggs out of it in, in, in later days. So people coming out to the East End to visit would would stop in. I imagine that they were refrigerated at that point and, and just pick up chicken eggs for their um, for their time out East. Yeah, they definitely did sell like ducks to ducks to go yeah. um, in the 70s, um, which was interesting, but. I don't think they were, were selling live ducks. I doubt yeah. that. Maybe. I don't know. That's a very good question because I'm not sure. To look back at my story, like what what year did they stop? Um, did they stop actually? Um, and, and according to Scapini, I mean, in addition, you could get treats out back too in the chicken coops. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I was able to just find like a little bit more information, like what the duck originally was kind of used for. So. The original idea in 1931 was they were going to sell um, duck broilers and duck eggs um, at, inside the duck. Um, and apparently that's what they did for a couple of years. Um, so it was it was used to sell duck products originally. Yeah, interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, so. It's not a big chicken. <laughs> so it's turning 90. Alex, do you want to talk a little bit about the celebration that happened to celebrate the 90th anniversary of the big duck? Yeah, from talking with the current president of the um, Friends of the Big Duck Association, which is the Southampton Town appointed steward of the property. It really just sounds like a family fun day, like kind of enjoy like duck themed games and kind of have a good afternoon at the duck. Additionally though, like they are trying to raise money for kind of just the general upkeep of the duck. Um, the president of the association, um, Neil Young. Not, not the that, Neil Young. Um, I'll say, man, that would be a, that would be a proud <laughs> yeah, attractor. That's his name. He, he really wants to install air conditioning inside the duck. Uh, Apparently, he doesn't have it. So, do any of you enjoy eating duck? I sometimes it has to be, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of weird about like very chewy, gamey meat, and sometimes duck can be a little gamey if it's 
a lot of people like to serve it very raw and I'm not a big raw meat eater. Um, I think that the like crispy duck skin though is like heaven. I love duck. I, I don't eat duck. I was always told it was really bad for you. And so I've kind of stayed away from it my entire life. I mean, whenever I've had it, it definitely seems like way greasier, fattier than eating chicken. But for that same reason, also like very rich, very tasty. Uh, I believe it was Brewology and Spionk that at one point they had like a duck pizza that was pretty amazing. Um, I'm looking right now on the Crescent Duck Farm website at their different products. And I know that there's a few places where you could buy duck to take home and cook for dinner. So on their website, they're showing you can get duck liver, duck tongue, duck tongues, duck wings, trimmed duck feet. But then, you know, the more conventional stuff like breasts, whole legs, quarter duck. Now I'm looking at the frozen whole duck, but there's options. Now you could get the frozen whole duck that looks like a packaged chicken. You could also get Confucian style. Wow. Do you remember the Chinese restaurant scene in A Christmas Story? Yes. And the dad says, it's smiling. That's what it looks like. Well, it's still like that. Like if you go in the city in Chinatown, they, you know, those places hang the ducks by their, their necks. So their heads are still firmly attached. Yeah. But it's funny. They, they still call it Long Island duck, a lot of it. But there hasn't been really that many Long Island ducks raised since, you know, now that you're down to Crescent Farm. Um, but it's just kind of funny how that name is really stuck, you know? So they call it the Long Island Duck, really, because that's where it was bred out of. The the Peking or the White Peking is an American domestic duck, and it really got its form on Long Island from years of breeding for all the crates that they wanted it to have. There's also a German Peking, which I don't know if it looks all that different, but the American Peking is, is like a white duck, um, just kind of like the way you would imagine a cartoon duck. I live in Eastport, which is where all the duck farms used to be, but we don't see any Pekins around. All we see is just mallards everywhere and at all times. But yeah, that's why it's a Long Island duck, just because of its history, not because they're actually making it here. Hey, are there are there any in the wild, like breeding in the wild, any of the white ducks from the old days? I've never seen them. There are uh, domestic ducks that live in the wild with wild ducks at places like Lake Agawam. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you'll see them and, you know, they might be um, the same species as a mallard, but they're bigger and they have different colors because they've been bred for those traits to be domesticated. And then they either get out and breed with wild ducks or people just dump them. People say they don't want their ducks anymore and they dump them. There's also ornamental geese down at Lake Aguam in Southampton Village. I haven't seen them in a few years, but I also haven't checked in a few years. But these are ornamental fat waterfowl that people have because they look pretty in their yards, but then they don't want to take care of them anymore. So they enter the local population, which can actually be detrimental to our native species. Yeah, and the pond. Well, and there's also just a lot of different breeds too. And I, I'm not a duck hunter, but, but you know, certainly... Um, there are a lot of duck hunters here, a lot of migratory ducks too. And I remember, um, I remember former Western Southampton Press Western Edition editor Mike Pitcher. He was a big duck hunter, and he used to go out and and he would say there were certain you you knew which ones were flying overhead. You knew which ones you wanted to shoot and which ones you didn't. And 
I remember him bringing me, you know, now and then he would bring me, um, you know, breasts, duck breasts um, that, that he had hunted. And they didn't taste like the domestic ducks that you would get in a restaurant. I mean, it was just a totally different, more, like you said, and that more wild gamey flavor, but really, really very tasty. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, southamptonsagharborbooks.com. Well, apparently the uh, the the Pekin duck on Long Island. I was looking back at a story I had written about Dr. Van Scoy's book when it came out, and every Long Island duck was a descendant from four ducks, one drake and three female ducks, I guess, who were brought to Connecticut in 1873. And that's those, I guess, four ducks that came down here. They were brought down here, and they bred, and um, that was how all of the ducks started. But wow. yeah, so these four ducks, I guess, were the original. I don't know where they got them, but yeah, but every Long Island duck is just, um, I don't know. Yeah. Like as far as, you know, were they, are they native to this country or were they, I guess they must've been brought from another country. I don't know. Could be Chinese. Well, it would be perfect. Right. I mean, you yeah. know, makes sense. I don't know. And is that the kind of ducks that, that those like places in Chinatown sell now? I think there's just different varieties. I don't know. I don't know a lot about ducks. I don't know. Yeah. A lot we don't know about ducks, <laughs> but we do know that the the big duck is turning ninety. Um, another little bit of trivia that I'll throw out there is that, um, from what I learned from my my interview, was that the the eye it's got red eyes. You know, it kind of looks a little possessed at night. You know, from the rest gone. Apparently, I don't know if they still are, but I but um, I was told that those red eyes are the taillights of a Model T Ford. I think I heard that. I I was also told that in my interview with Dr. Vansky. Um, <laughs> I don't know what her source is for that, but I'm assuming if she wrote the book, like it's pretty authoritative. She must be right. She's got a PhD. She must be right about that. Yeah. Interestingly, not to discredit her in any way, but her PhD is in, it's like, she's an art historian. She's an art historian. Mm -hmm. um, and so when she was kind of writing this book, she really wanted to write about the architecture of the structure and the publishing company. was like, you can do that, but yeah. you also have to totally recap the duck farming industry on Long Island. So she kind of became yeah. a mini expert in, duck farming uh, and so we kind of have this book that marries the two quite nicely and she did learn that they're afraid of the dark which is i think it's a very important thing to know about that i was gonna say it's odd that ducks are afraid of the dark because with chickens when you want them to be quiet you turn off the lights right and then they just like immediately settle down yeah unless they're just afraid and they're cowering that's it <laughs> it's funny you know we used to have chickens here in our backyard um and there was one night, you know, they usually come home, like they know to come home at sunset, you know, and go right in the coop. Like they have that instinct. And one night they did not come home. And my uh -oh. daughter was freaking out. Um, and we did not know where they were all night. And then the next morning we found them um, in like the neighbor's yard. But they, but they knew once it got dark, they hunkered down and they were quiet as 
mice and they knew not mm. to make a noise until the morning. So um, yeah, pretty, pretty, I mean, for a little bird brain, they were pretty smart about that. So. They did not get eaten that night. So I was just going to say with the duck's red eyes, it makes it perfect for the annual uh, duck lighting where they put a lighted wreath around, huge lighted wreath around the duck's neck in, in Flanders and they have a they have a celebration and turn the lights on and, and have a little um, mini party there, usually with a lot of elected officials and um, Christmas carols and, and that type of thing. And I've been to that a few times and it's always a really good time. And uh, part of part of the lore, I guess, of the of the Flanders big duck. Yeah. So, Alec, what's it made out of again? What's the what's the actual material that we know? So I said ferro concrete earlier. It's actually ferro cement. Um, I could be pronouncing that incorrectly, but that's that's what um, Dr. Van Soy's book says. So I wonder, did they put like a wooden frame under it and then cover it, or I just keep picturing it like being a paper mache project or something, but. I would imagine more wire than wood, like a wire frame, and then just kind of. It's. I guess it survived like every storm since 1931, including the hurricane of 38. That's pretty impressive, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> hasn't hasn't floated away yet. <laughs> That's right. In an article that uh, Susan Van Scoy actually wrote for 27 East, and I believe it went in one of our magazines. She said it was constructed with a wooden framework and covered with wire mesh. Ah. And then masons were hired to do the plaster work and added four coats of Atlas cement. Well, there you go. So it's not cool. I don't think it'll float then. <laughs> Probably not. Wouldn't it be great? Like, it'd be a great boat. <laughs> yeah, what if this whole time it was a boat and we just didn't know That's it? That's right. It's like a, like a Viking boat, you know, <laughs> instead of like a dragon head duck thing going on. We could live in it over the summer. Wouldn't that be a great, like, I could just see that, like, floating in one of the harbors and this little, little summer rental. We could, we could hide in it and float it to Connecticut and then attack, attack the capital like a Trojan horse. Yeah. Yeah. Storm the beaches. So go eat some duck. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. So... 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sacharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.